good morning. It's good to see you all here this morning. Y'all braved the, the cold and the snow. I, congr- I always find it funny. We were, uh, my son had ba- basketball tryouts uh, this, yesterday, and, and one, of the, one of the parents, is, again, there's, there's kind of two tryouts. There was one yesterday, one tomorrow night, and one of the parents was, was all concerned about the snow, and they're like, they're like, it's snowing, and are we really going to have tryouts on Monday night? And, you know, and I, you know, I'm from Minnesota, man. I mean, I'm like, I'm like, it's a little snow never killed anybody. And, well, that's not necessarily true, but, um, <laughs> but I don't think that way, right? Like, we just always had snow, and so I, it's, it's always uh, kind, of, kind of unique for me uh, as the snow comes and to, and to watch people drive, as I'm sure you did this morning, and probably, you know, going, oh my goodness, why did the Southern California people come here and try to drive in the snow, right? Like, how many thought that this morning? Be honest. Come on. Uh, okay, only, only a couple of you were honest. I definitely thought that. So Johnny, by the way, is from California, Southern California, so I like to tease him. But anyways, um, hey, we're going we're gonna to do a, a message on forgiveness this morning. Um, we're going to jump around in, the, in, in our text th- this morning. Um, we're going to start in Ephesians, and we'll, we'll, be in, uh, we'll be in Luke and some other places as well. But uh, we're, we'll start in Ephesians. If you want to follow along, you, you certainly can do that. We will put the text on the screen for you um, as well. Uh, but let's, uh, let's pray before we, we dive into God's Word this morning. Dear God, I thank you so much. I thank you for... Uh, this opportunity we have to come together to, to, to be in your presence. Lord, I, pray, I thank you for your word. I thank you for forgiveness. And Lord, as we look at that topic this morning, again, I pray that our hearts would be ready to embrace that in our lives, that we would understand well uh, the forgiveness that you've shown us and how we can become forgiving people. And uh, Lord, I just pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Some of you may remember the story of Rachel uh, Denhollander. Uh, Rachel... Uh, was a gymnast, and uh, she was uh, on the national teams and things like that. And she was one of the first gymnasts to file a police report accusing the, the doctor for the national gymnastics team of sexual assault. And, uh, and, and after she uh, filed that report, something like 150 other uh, girls from, from that time and from experience with that doctor uh, made similar accusations. And uh, she had the opportunity, I, I guess if you want to call it that, to, to address her, her attacker. Uh, uh, I guess it was almost two years ago, and she recently came out with a book uh, called What is a, a Girl Worth? where she recounts her journey as it relates uh, to all the events that led up to the part that was so public and that many of us are aware of. And in that book, she also talks about forgiveness, and she talks about um, what that process has been like and how she continues to heal from those traumatic and difficult things in her life. I wanted to share with you some of the things that she shared at the, at the trial, and, and I don't know if you followed that or not. And while forgiveness doesn't undo what has happened, it has given Rachel the ability to deal with the things that she's experienced in her life. As she addressed Larry in the, in the court, she, she said this, You spoke of praying for forgiveness. But Larry, if you've read the Bible you carry, you know forgiveness does not come by doing good things. As if good deeds can erase what you have done. It comes from repentance, which requires facing and acknowledging the truth about what you have done in all of its utter depravity and horror. Without mitigation, without excuse, 
without acting as if good deeds can erase what you have seen in this courtroom today. The Bible you carry speaks of a final judgment where all of God's wrath and its eternal terror is poured out on men like you. Should you ever reach the point of truly facing what you have done, the guilt will be crushing. That is what makes the gospel of Christ so sweet because it extends grace and hope and mercy where none should be found. I pray you experience the soul-crushing weight of guilt so that you may someday experience true repentance and true forgiveness from God, which you need far more than forgiveness from me, though I extend that to you as well. That kind of forgiveness is hard to imagine, isn't it? It's hard to imagine that Rachel, she stood and confronted the person who attacked her, that she, she would be able to come to a place of forgiveness for that kind of traumatic horror that happened to her. Forgiveness is not our natural tendency, is it? I mean, as a matter, we want to hold on to things. We want to have vengeance. We want to have an even playing field. What we tend to want, and we tend to think we deserve, we tend to want... The, the playing field to be leveled. In other words, if something bad has been done to me, then we want something bad to be done to the person who did that thing to me. We kind of hang on to those things and, and resentment and anger and bitterness can build in our lives. We all know somebody who's a little bit like that, don't we? I mean, if you were to think about it for more than a second or two, you would be able to come up with a name. Don't, I'm not suggesting you do that. But there are p- people that we know that have bitterness in their life, that are angry people. They, they live a, a bitter-filled life, and, and, and it might be you. And you begin to, to wonder why. Why is it that you always find yourself angry and bitter, seeking vengeance? Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, Paul writes to the church in Ephes- Ephesus, and he says this. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Listen to this. Forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Paul rightly understands that bitterness and rage rage and anger and all of those things, those things are the opposite of compassion and forgiveness. You can't possibly Hold on to the bitterness and anger and rage in your life and also extend forgiveness. You can't do both. And Paul recognizes that. And our tendency, our fallen human tendency, is to want to hang on to the bitterness. We, we allow old grudges to, to, to sit in our hearts and in our minds and, and, and to simmer there over time. And we, we don't want to give those things up. We feel like there's something is owed us as long as we hang on to those things. And as time goes on, we become bitter and we become angry and we become vengeful. Seeking to have something done to, to, to somehow make the playing field even. Can I just be honest with you? That day's never coming. We hang on to those things in hope that somehow we'll get what we deserved. And, and the reality is if we got what we deserved, we probably wouldn't be real happy with that. The playing field is never going to be even. We're never going to have revenge that will satisfy. None of those things will ever come to us. 
What Paul is saying is this. He's saying, don't let the bitterness bug bite. Don't let the bitterness bug bite. You might say, how do I, how do I handle that? I mean, can you imagine if anybody has a reason to be angry and to be bitter and to, be, to want revenge, it was Rachel as she confronted her attacker. And yet in that courtroom, not only did she rightly suggest that he needed the forgiveness of God most of all, but she also extended forgiveness from her as well, even though he didn't ask for it. When someone has done us wrong, we all want a little revenge. And we tell ourselves that it's what we deserve and that it'll somehow make us feel better, the misery will go away. But the reality is, we know people who are bitter and angry and, and are hanging on to things in their past. And because we always ask the question when we run into these people and we spend a time with these people and we begin to identify that there's bitterness and rage and anger in their life. And we always ask this question. And we say, I wonder what happened to them. Isn't that what we say? Because we intuitively know that there's something that happened in their life, some traumatic event or a series of traumatic events or, or whatever it is that, that caused them to go down this road where they became bitter and angry and, and, and just became that kind of person. When we hang on to the wrongs done to us, we grow bitter and angry towards whoever it is we blame for whatever it is that was done to us. And we blame all kinds of people, right? We, we, we sometimes blame the person who did it, but we, we blame others as well. We blame others for allowing us to be in that position. We blame God for allowing it to happen. We blame society. We, we blame and we blame and we blame and we blame. We point fingers here and there and everywhere. And can I just be honest with you? We live in a fallen world that is kind of messed up. And that includes you and me. We're messed up too. But we've got to blame somebody because when we blame somebody, when we defer the blame, when we, when we disperse it and it, it doesn't land on us, we don't have to carry the weight. Now, I'm not suggesting that we are to blame for things done to us. But we do have a responsibility for how we react to those things. I like to tell my kids, and I haven't said it as much in recent years, but I said it a lot to my daughter when she was growing up, and I probably need to start saying it more to my son. There's two things in life that we can control. How we act and how we react. Those are the only two things that we have. Those are the only two things we can control. We can control our behavior in the first place and we can control how we react to, some, to things other people do to us or, or the world around us or whatever it is. Those are the only two, only two things we have. And we can't always control when something traumatic or, or something bad is done to us. We can't always control that, but we can control how we react to it. And there is a certain amount of responsibility that we need to take. And I can't imagine being in Rachel's place and attempting to react in the appropriate way. And I have no idea the number of nights she went to bed crying and bawling and trying to figure out how she was going to handle the situation she was in. The firestorm that found her, that she found herself in the midst of, going from somebody who really very few people knew to somebody that was in the media and all over the news, and, and even though her cause was noble and right and good, it was weighty and heavy and burdensome. And yet in the midst of that, she found a way to forgive. She found a way to look at her 
attacker and say, I forgive you. Don't let the bitterness bug bite. What's the alternative? If we're not going to be bitter, if we're not going to be resentful or angry, what, what are we supposed to do? Well, Luke records a version of this well-known teaching. It usually comes out of Matthew, but we're going to look at the Luke version in, Matthew ch- or in Luke chapter 6. And he gives this version of the teaching that is often found in Matthew 7. It says this, Do not judge, and you will not be judged. We all like that part, right? Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. And then it says, Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured out into your lap. For the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Did you hear that? The measure you use, it will be measured to you. In other words, in other words, the idea is this, that Jesus is saying, look, look, judge how you want to be judged. If you're going to condemn, you better be ready to be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. And the more you give it out, the more you give it out, the more you're likely to receive that forgiveness, right? Be a forgiver and you will be forgiven. That's what Jesus is saying here. Press down, shake it together, overflowing into your lap. You'll receive, given the measure, or it'll be given to you in the measure that you give it out. In other words, if you want forgiveness in your life, if you want to receive that, then you better be giving it out too. But most of the time, we find ourselves not very willing to give out forgiveness, but demanding that it be given to us. That's where we often find ourselves. It's a difficult process, forgiveness is. It's painful. It's not pleasant. The idea that you have to forgive somebody rests on the idea that somebody has wronged you, and you have to start there. You have to own the hurt and the sorrow that comes from it. You have to own all of that in order to stand in a place where you can then turn around and forgive somebody for causing that in your life. And it's a difficult process and it often takes years and years in some cases to forgive people who have done you significant harm in your life. Be a forgiver and you will be forgiven There is a reality we must all face, and most of us can avoid it in any real public manner, but it is a reality nonetheless. The reality is this, that we all need forgiveness. That we all need forgiveness. In her book, Rachel restates the comments that she gave at the sentencing hearing, and, and as you And I read some of those earlier, but often as she gives these comments, she would pause in the middle and then make some additional comments about her thought process or about things that have entered her mind as she's reflected on that time that she had. And I want to share some of those comments with you as she she paused and she reflected. She says this in her book. She says, and I so often wondered, what if that were me? I wasn't Larry, not by a long shot. But what if I had sat in that witness chair and every person I'd ever wounded with a thoughtless word, a wrong choice, or a lie stood before me? What if every broken thought I'd ever had were paraded before the world? What if I were fully honest with myself about every wrong choice I'd ever made without minimizing, without mitigating, without turning my attentions to nice things I'd done to cover up, to cover over any of the guilt I felt? The power 
of self-deception and the need we all have to find a way to absolve our guilt was magnified tenfold in the broken man sitting in front of me. But the pattern of seeking ways to minimize or obscure our own wrong choices, that is in all of us. The danger of lying to ourselves about who we really are or things we've really done, no matter how small they seem in comparison to what others have done, is real. We all do it, don't we? We look at our own life, we look at the own things in our life, uh, our our own sins, if you will, our own mistakes, our own bad thoughts, our own bad judgment, bad decisions, bad actions. We look at those and we kind of, we minimize them, we mitigate them, we kind of look at them and we go, well, I'm not as bad as whoever. As a matter of fact, she even kind of said that, right? She said, I'm no Larry, I'm not, I'm not that bad. And that kind of feels nice. And you notice how we always pick the worst people to compare ourselves to? I mean, have you ever thought about it? I mean, we don't, we don't compare ourselves to the really good people, the really, you know, the people, the people who live really good and righteous lives. We don't compare ourselves to them because that would make us look bad. Instead, we go, well, I'm not as bad as Pol Pot. You know, I'm like, wow, standard's pretty high there. Right? Oh, some of you might not know who Pol Pot is. He killed millions of people. Communist ruler. Cambodia, that part of the world. And we, that we pick the worst people and then we go, wow, I'm not as bad as them so, them, so I'm pretty good. We do it all the time, right? And sometimes we even pick somebody who's, who's just bad enough, right? They're not Pol Pot, but, they're, but you know, they're not down there. They're not maybe a serial killer or something like that, but they're, they're, just, they're just bad enough that, that it's obvious that we're better than they are and we compare ourselves to them as if that makes us righteous, I think Rachel's right in her reflection. What if we were to sit in that seat? What if we were the ones sitting in that chair that, that Larry sat in and paraded in front of us were the worst things that we'd ever done for the world to see? The worst thoughts, the worst decisions, the worst lies, the worst comments, the worst words we've ever spoken? What if, what if all of that was paraded in front? And if we're honest, if we have a little bit of honest reflection, we would all go, wow, that would be really bad. In other words, we all need to be forgiven, don't we? We all find our place, ourselves in a place where we need forgiveness in our lives, not only as givers of forgiveness, but as those who receive it. There's always someone worse but there's always someone better. The comparison game is at best a psychological trick that we use to deceive ourselves. If we want to be forgiven, we need to start by forgiving others. In fact, Luke tells us uh, we should be lavish in our forgiveness of others. We should give it out as freely as we hope others will give it to us. In Matthew chapter 18, Peter poses a question to Jesus. Peter's one of the disciples of Jesus, and he poses this question in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 21. He says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Seven times was often, you know, sometimes that's translated 70 times seven. There's some discussion about which is right. It doesn't matter. It's a lot more than seven either way. There was this common teaching 
that you should forgive somebody seven times, but after that you don't have to forgive them anymore. And, and, and a lot, many Jewish rabbis at the time would, would teach that. And so Peter comes to Jesus and asks him the question and kind of answers it for him, right? I always love it when people ask questions, they answer it for you. Because what are you supposed to do? You know, it's like, well, no, your answer's wrong. Let me give you the right answer. But that's kind of what Peter does, right? He says, how many times should I forgive him? Jesus, seven times? And in other words, here's the right answer, Jesus. This is what I really want you to say. So that I can forgive somebody seven times, and then on that eighth time, nah, it's, it's over. I've, I'm done. I fulfilled my forgiveness duty. That's what Peter wanted Jesus to say. But instead, Jesus says, no, you should forgive them 77 or 70 times seven, whatever it is. It's a whole bunch. It's far more than seven. And then Jesus tells a story. He tells a story about a king, and the king has a subject, and the subject comes to the king, and because the king is calling to account some of the debts owed him, and and so he calls in this subject, and and the subject comes, and the subject owes him 10,000 bags of gold. Now, I don't know if you've thought about how much that is. I haven't thought a lot about it, but I figured if I got a little kitchen Ziploc, and I put a little gold in in, in a bag, and I had 10,000 of those, I would be a wealthy man. It was, it was a, in other words, it was a huge debt. It was a large debt. I don't know how, what that adds up to money-wise, but it's, it's huge, significant. He owes him all of this money, and the king calls him in, and, and the subject comes, and he goes, Man, I don't have the money. I can't pay you. And the, and the, and the king begins, be, begins to, to address him and says, well, you need to pay me. And he says, no, no, I can't pay you. I don't have the money. And he begins to beg for mercy, and as he begs for mercy, the king says, all right, I'm going to cancel the debt. It's done. It's over with. You don't have to worry about it. The debt is canceled. That huge debt that you owed me is now canceled. And then the subject leaves and he goes out and he finds somebody who owes him a small debt. And he begins to tell him, hey, you need to pay up. You need to settle the account. It gets so bad. It gets so bad that this this person who had been forgiven this huge debt, 10,000 bags of gold that had been forgiven that, he literally begins to choke the guy. And say, no, you have to pay me. I mean, you can kind of almost envision it, right? It's a back alley, and he's, and he's found the guy, and he puts him up against the wall, and he's, he's, the thumbs are, you know, on each carotid artery, right? And he's like, he's like no, you're going to pay me. You know, I mean, talk about, like, breaking legs and that kind of stuff, right? I mean, this is serious, and it's a small debt. And, and he, he, ends up, he ends up throwing the guy in prison until he can pay the debt. And then the king hears about it. And the king calls the subject back in, and he says, hey, I I forgave you this gigantic debt and then you go out and it's this tiny little debt and you try to force somebody else to pay you this tiny little debt. And oftentimes, that's us, isn't it? We'd like to think we're the king, but we're not the king. Oftentimes, we're the ones who have been forgiven much but but seem to be close-fisted when it comes to handing out forgiveness to others. And that's what happened in this case. And the king has him tortured and thrown in jail, and it's, it's not a good situation. And then he ends, at the end of the parable that Jesus tells in verse 35, he says this. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Whew. Did you hear that? I'm going to read it again because that, that was a little harsh. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I don't think that's a threat. It's a reminder of the significance of God's forgiveness towards us. 
saying, we have been forgiven so much. We ought to become forgiving people. Be a forgiver and you will be forgiven. We all want to be forgiven, but some of us probably, all of us have had some pretty bad hurts in our lives. If you've been alive for very long, you've experienced some kind of significant betrayal or harm done to you by fathers, by mothers, by siblings, by spouses, business partners, whatever it is. For some, no matter how much time has passed, the wound remains flesh, fresh. How can we possibly forgive when it's so painful? How do we do it? Because we don't want to. We want revenge. Somewhere in this forgiveness process, there's the idea that you need to forgive yourself. And I wish I could spend more time on that this morning, but time does not allow. Whether it is forgiving someone else or ourselves, though, the source of the forgiveness we give is important. Here's the reality. You and I do not have the resources within us to be forgiving people. The resources to be a forgiving person, they don't come from me or you. It's not in us. The Bible talks about our hearts, and it doesn't talk kindly about our hearts. It says, out of the hearts come all kinds of evil. In other words, left to our fallen selves, we don't want to forgive. Kindness doesn't flow from us. It's not the kind of thing we just hand out. It's difficult to forgive. But the source of the forgiveness isn't us, and that's important. In 1 John chapter 1, starting in verse 7, I'm going to read several verses. John, one of the disciples, says this. He says, But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Do you hear that? The source of our forgiveness is not us. It's Jesus. Jesus is the source of our forgiveness. It's his atoning sacrifice that paves the way, that makes it possible for us to forgive even the most significant hurts in our life. We can forgive. It is Jesus My intent isn't to say that if you don't know Jesus, you can't forgive. But it is to say that your forgiveness without Jesus has limits. Without Jesus, there might be small things that you can forgive. And and, and certainly, certainly you've forgiven in your life. And and we, we even teach our kids this, right? As parents, if you've got young children, we always tell them, you know, you know, brother does something to sister. And what do we say? Say your sorry, right? We teach them from an early age to be forgiving people. And while these small things might be, might be easy to forgive and, and, and we can kind of teach ourselves to do that. And, but when those huge hurts, those significant things, the things like Rachel Delhollander faced, those things, the betrayals, 
the, the repeated harm, the repeated abuse that was caused us by, by a father, a mother, or a relative, or a close family friend, or, or, or the betrayal in a, in a business deal that costs us a significant uh, resources in our lives, whether those be personal or financial or whatever, or those repeated things that have been done to us, and we hold on to those, and we can't seem to let them go, and we want to forgive, but they keep creeping back into our lives. Because... Our ability to forgive without Jesus is limited. But when we recognize the forgiveness that Jesus has offered us through the atoning sacrifice, then our resources expand eternally. There's certain things I look back at my life and I think, man, I'm not sure I could forgive that. I think about my kids and, and, and my wife, and, and I've often had the thought, you know, of, of, of perhaps because of things that I've experienced in the past or whatever, but, but if somebody did something to my kids or my wife or my family or whatever, I, I sometimes have the thought that I'm not sure, I, not only am I not sure I could forgive that, but I would want revenge. And yet, I believe that should the moment ever arise where something like that happened, that the Holy Spirit's work in my life, the reminder of the atoning sacrifice of Jesus and the forgiveness that I've received from him would overcome that desire for revenge, that desire to get back, that desire to hang on to whatever it is. I really believe that God would work in that moment as the source of forgiveness to help me forgive somebody who had harmed my family. The source of the forgiveness is not us, and I am so thankful for that because I don't have the capacity, but Jesus does. The forgiven forgive. The forgiven forgive. What is the message of Jesus Christ? Well, here's what the message is not. You have to live a good life and follow a bunch of rules to be saved. That is the message of some religions, but that is not the message of Jesus. The message is not do more good than bad and you will be good enough for heaven. God doesn't measure on a scale like that. He doesn't put your good deeds on this side and your bad deeds on this side and go, whoa, the good deeds are a little bit heavier. Good for you. Come on in. That's not how it works. Forgiveness is not earned. It is given and received. The message is not be better and judge everyone. I don't know why, but sometimes we think that's the message. That we're just supposed to walk around like we're better than everybody else and and judge everybody. That is not the message. We aren't better. And we certainly aren't judges. The message of Jesus Christ is one of love. Love that overcomes our sin through his sacrifice. The message is one of grace and forgiveness through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Here is reality. God created humanity, created the universe. He created humanity as the pinnacle of his creation. He places in a in a a place that was paradise on earth. It was perfect for us. It was given to us that we might be in a loving relationship with him, that he would love us, that we would love him in return. But he knew that in order for us to love him in return, that we had to at least have the option to hate him. And that's what we did. We rejected what he gave us. But God loved us so much he didn't give up. It didn't end there. He'd go, oh, you don't want what I want? Okay, fine, just have it your way. Because the day that God says have it your way, that's a bad day. Can I just be honest with you? It's not a good day. 
And he didn't do that. And I'm so thankful because his love extended beyond that. And even in the midst of our rebellion and our rejection of what he had given us, even in the midst of that, he put into plan or put into place a plan that included his self-sacrifice in Jesus Christ. In other words, the divine, eternal Son of God was going to take on human flesh. He was going to walk this earth. He was going to experience the sorrow and the hurts and the pain and the suffering and the temptations and all the other things that come along in this fallen world. Yet in the midst of, a, of the, all of that, he would remain perfect. And then the eternal divine son of God was going to go to the cross and he was going to shed his blood. And that blood was going to be for the forgiveness of sins as the author of Hebrew reminds us in chapter 9. And he wasn't just going to die on a cross because thousands upon thousands died on crosses and thousands upon thousands were thrown in graves. But the grave that Jesus was thrown into was only filled for three days. And on that third day, he rose again, conquering sin and death. That's where the hope that we have in Jesus Christ comes from. It is an eternal hope, a hope that we have received forgiveness. We have received the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And that is good news. And out of that forgiveness that has come down to us, we can then give others forgiveness lavishly because of the forgiveness that was granted to us. You want to be a forgiving person? Start with being forgiven by Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Dear God, thank you so much for your grace and your kindness and your love and your forgiveness. God, we don't 